Amen. Good morning, everyone. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word today. Glasses to get this one right. This is an important one. From the book of Genesis, the opening book of the Bible, chapter 1. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with hearing, with understanding. Lord, I pray also for the work of your Holy Spirit to bring conviction to those of us who may disbelieve. Lord, to bring words of courage for those of us who are discouraged because of the current state of our society and our world. Lord, for those of us who are struggling because of interpersonal relationships, because of difficult histories, because of hurtful words, because of relationships that have been torn asunder. Lord, I pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to bring healing, to bring comfort, to bring hope. Lord, to bring assurance of your presence, of your forgiveness for when sin has been committed. And Lord, the hope of healing. As always, Lord God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to work to speak, to bring glory to yourself as your word, as your truth, as your will for our lives is presented today. And Lord, all of this is in the name of our Savior, our Lord, your Son, O Father God, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated, and a very special welcome to those who are joining with us online today. We're so glad that you're a part of the Oak Park family. Remember, you can participate in today's service in real time by texting in comments or questions or prayer praises or prayer requests to 805-481-7092. We would love to hear from you. And if you are a first-time person texting in, please include your name along with your number. That way we can pray for you more specifically, and we'd love to be able to follow up to help you grow spiritually because that's what we're about here at Oak Park. And to those online, and to those who are assembled here today, happy Mother's Day. So if you are a woman who is a mom, congratulations, happy happy Mother's Day. You have survived this far. That is evidence for the existence of God. For all of us, all of us are united by one simple thing in life. We all had a mother. That's where we come from. That's kind of the way God designed it. And so for all of you who are alive today, congratulations, good job. That also is a sign that God exists because your mom did not kill you. (laughs) Speaking as a father who knows that temptation from many, many, many years ago, don't worry, Jordan, many years ago, and obviously being married to a, a woman who is a mom and counseling hundreds, if not thousands of women who have also uh, been moms over the years, that is a testament to the grace and the goodness of God that moms let their children live. 
Um, amen? Amen. So if all of the ladies with us this morning could please stand, we do have a gift to give. Actually, we have two gifts to give you today to honor you simply for being women, and that is an amazing gift of God. So whether you're a mom or not, go ahead and stand. Ladies, we love you. We're glad to have you here this morning. So everybody gets their, uh, their gifts. That'll come later. (laughs) And thanks to the guys handing those out today. All right, are we all good? Excellent. Thank you much, guys. Great. Well, it is rather surprising, but, excuse me, the simple subject of what is a man and what is a woman after tens of thousands of years of human existence and yes, human evolution, small e, we have now come to the point where we are so highly advanced and so highly educated, and we have thought so deeply about things in the universe that now our society is confused about what a man is and what a woman is. It takes a high degree of intelligence to become this uneducated. So, in that perspective. Let's go back to Scripture. Let's go back to the foundation of God's Word. Let us, even though most of us, I believe, are pretty certain we know, let's get a grounded assurance of God's creative intent and God's creative design for mankind male and female, men and women. Men and women are created by God. We are not the creation of circumstance or happenstance. We are not a fluke. We are not an aberration. We are not simply something that has, that has evolved or metamorphosized, I believe that's the correct pronunciation of that word, many syllables, very difficult. We are not the result of chance. We're not the result of happenstance. 
We are not an accident. We are not a fluke. Humanity is intentionally, willfully, intimately designed and created by an all-powerful, all-knowing God. God, the ruler of the universe, the creator of all things. Any questions that we have as Christians regarding the nature of the world, questions of life, our very existence, questions of gender, sexuality, relationship, all must begin with with an understanding and a look at who God the Creator truly is. It's God's Trinitarian nature. It's a big word. It's not a Bible word. But it's a word that was, that was devised and used to describe how we can best understand the nature of God. Because as human beings, we are not going to be able to understand God. If you can understand God, God is not a God. And if your intellectual ability is to have complete understanding of God, then you're not worshiping the God who is. You're worshiping God of your own creation or your God of your own control. But from the total witness of Scripture, the wording in Scripture, we've come to understand that God has a Trinitarian aspect. God is one, but God is Father and Son and Spirit. They are all equally God, but each has distinction in identity and purpose. One of the best definitions of the Trinity I've ever heard is, is from a book called, simply called Doctrine. It says this, the, do- the Trinity is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are each fully and equally God in eternal relation with each other. The Trinitarian concept of God helps us understand what it means to be made in God's image, what it means to be made as male and female, and what it means to relate to this world that God has created for us. God the Father is the creator. God the Son is Jesus. He is the Christ, which means he is our Savior and our Lord. God the Holy Spirit, equally God, Equally God in all essence and power. The God, the Holy Spirit, is the comforter. He is what dwells within us through faith and what unites us as one in Christ. The Trinitarian nature of God. And we see in the opening passages of Scripture that God created male and female together in the image of God. It is not just men alone who bear the image of God. Man was created first, but he was incomplete. The fullness of the image of God did not rest solely on him. Male and female together are the image of God or created in the image of God. This means that maleness and femaleness are intentional. They are distinct. They are immutable, which means unchangeable. Maleness and femaleness is genetic. It's chromosomal. XX equals women. X with a Y chromosome equals men. 
And yes, the biologists have discovered different mutations and different um, different uh, the, the presence of parts of like a Y chromosome in 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 female uh, blood and female genetics. That does not create a separate category, nor does it eliminate the dominance of XX or XY. Yes, our genetics are binary. These differences of maleness and females are biological, physiological, hormonal, no jokes. I'll point at you, but there's three pointing back at me, preaching to the choir. No jokes about hormones. Maleness and femaleness is anatomical. It is physical, beyond just the mere anatomy. And it is psychological. Yes, our brains work the same way, but brain chemistry is different in how men and women think. And yes, ladies, men do think, just for the record, occasionally, once in a while. There are exceptions, Tim. Now, while maleness and femaleness are designed by God and intentionally created by God and are immutable, masculinity and femininity, the expression of maleness, the expression of femaleness, are culturally defined to an extent, and they do adapt and change over time and in different places. Even though there have been variations among cultures of what, is, what it means to be masculine and what it means to be feminine, every culture still recognizes the absolute basic difference, a distinction of maleness and femaleness. They are not the same. They cannot be switched. They cannot be intertwined. They cannot be interchanged. There is maleness and femaleness. Now, the way it's expressed has different variations in different cultures and societies. But there's always differences that go beyond mere reproduction or sexuality. Yes, there have been cultures throughout time where, where things other cultures consider masculine are done by women. Or where other cultures have things that are, that are considered feminine are done by men. But this, just being able to do something or performing tasks does not change or distort the essential differences between men and women. Confusion and elimination of such distinction is a psychological and a spiritual problem. That's why we find ourselves in the situation we are today in our popular culture. A, a belief system, an understanding of, of the nature of humanity that has been completely unknown from the entire beginning of time. It is a psychological problem. We are a desperately psychologically broken society. We can have a big discussion on that and the causes of that at a different point. But the main thing I wanted to say right now is, it is it's in its essence a spiritual problem. That's why the new cult 
of, this, of, of gender ideology and, and this different understanding of human sexuality. It is a competing religion. There is religiosity behind the evangelists of this worldview. But it doesn't change who God is and how God designed us and what God has to say. We come back to the creative design and the creative intent of maleness, femaleness. God defined masculinity and God defined femininity. Men and women are created with equal value as the only aspect of creation imprinted with the image of God. I hope that's, a, that's in, your, it's in your notes, and I hope that's a, 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 just a sentence that you highlight or star or mark because it is so important to understand that for any of our discussions, male and female, he created in the image of God. He created them. Both together reflect the fullness in a unique way. Not just man and woman united in marriage, that, that's not the topic here, but maleness and femaleness together in complementarian, in a complementary way and in a complete way are what fully reflects and images the nature of God and how He created us. It's reflective of the Trinity where there is equality yet there is distinction of identity and role. Men and women have different complementary roles that God created them for. Since it's Mother's Day, we're focusing mostly on women today. God designed women, women, excuse me, God designed woman as a helper for the man. Now, before you are copying my email address into your, your email folder so you can, you, can, you, can, you can light me up and have a bunch of vitriol for me on that, let's just take a step back. My, my, my email address is on the bottom of every, every sermon notes. Oh, wait, somebody already texted me. No, I'm just kidding. They haven't. No. <clears throat> At least I don't think they have. So I'm just going to turn my phone off. There we go. But God designed woman as a helper for the man. You see, men needed help. How's that? Is that better? God created the world. He created everything in order, and he created all the categories and all the, 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 the systems of life. He creates man, and he leaves man alone for a while, Hopefully for the man to understand that it is not good to be alone. But God himself is the one who designated male aloneness as not good. It was the only aspect of God's beautiful, pristine, amazing creation that was not good at all. It was not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. Man needed a helper to fulfill God's creative intent. This is for things like companionship, procreation, obviously, but also for co-stewardship over creation. Male and female together 
as reflective of the image of God are to co-steward, co-manage, co-control to, to, to one extent of the word, creation. In partnership, in unity, men and women together are to subdue the soil, the world, to create culture, to be fruitful and multiply, to exercise dominion over the world. That's our God-given purpose. And co-stewardship means it's not to, not to control, not to, or not, to, not to decimate, not to just wreak destruction with our rulership, but it's to co-steward. You see, God created mankind and placed him in the garden to work the garden, to care for it, to cultivate, to grow, to make better, to organize. Men and women together are to do that over this world in stratas, all stratas of society. Co-stewardship. We are in this together. And in Scripture, the word helper is not a term of inferiority or subservience. We know this because the exact word used in Genesis is only used 21 times in the entire Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Twice it refers to Eve. Three times it refers to the nation of Israel. And 16 times it refers to God himself. God is the helper. He is the one we turn to for help. He is the one who gives us his help. So helper is God himself. Therefore not inferior, not subservient at all. This is culminated in the New Testament. As Jesus announces, as, as God the Son announces that as he is preparing to rescue and redeem humanity through the cross and through the resurrection, after the resurrection, the Son will ascend back to the Father's side. But the believers in Jesus will not be abandoned. They will not be alone. They will not be left to fend for themselves. The third aspect of the essence of God, God the Holy Spirit, will come upon them and dwell within them, linking them to God directly, unifying them with a unity that is far deeper than any merely physical connection. God the Holy Spirit will be present with the believers in Jesus. And how does Jesus Describe the coming spirit, the helper. The helper will come. God himself, God the Holy Spirit. Nothing inferior. Nothing subservient about that. That's the created order. But the entrance of sin befouled everything disoriented all of the creative order, the creative intent. Mankind's relationship with God was severed. Mankind's relationship with the garden, with earth, with this mandate was distorted and made much more difficult. 
and the relationship between male and female, man and woman, husband and wife in in the the story of, of, of the Garden of Eden, that relationship too was corrupted and it was cursed. The first curse is pronounced upon Adam. That's a subject for a different day. But for now, we look at the curse pronounced upon Eve. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's Genesis 3. That's not Genesis 1. That's not Genesis 2. Humanity was created not for that kind of distorted relationship. But the presence of sin has corrupted and destroyed these very basic relationships that God designed us with. The first curse, there is increased pain and risk in childbirth. Evidently, there was some level of pain originally part of God's design, but now it is far worse. It is far riskier. Number two is the imbalance in the intended male and female relationship. It's rather controversial as to the full extent of what this means, and there's plenty of ideas and there's plenty of argumentation uh, for the various opinions. And my understanding comes down to this, that because of this, this now, this now imbalanced, imbalanced view of what it means to be male and female, what it means to be man and woman, what it means to be husband and wife in particular, it either means a desire to domineer on the woman's part, to usurp that control, to be in charge, rather than partnership, side by side, co-stewarding, it's a desire for more power. Or it could also be understood as a willingness to be controlled. E- either way, we see this lived out before us every day in our lives, and we've seen this throughout history. Misogyny has far too long of an ugly history in human society. And unfortunately, one of the greatest outgrowths of the current ideology is a brand new war on women. What it means to be female, what it means to be feminine, The goal of at least one side in this new religion is to eliminate completely the the uniqueness of what it means to be a woman created in the image of God. That's where we've come as a society. It's a result of sin, the result of a distorted imbalance in understanding what it means to be male and female. But fortunately, we still have the Word of God. 
And fortunately, we still have hundreds of millions, if not billions of people on this planet who still give allegiance to the Lord Jesus through adherence to the Scriptures. And they take God's truth as supreme, not the whims and the winds of cultural ideology. So we turn once again to the Scriptures. Created in the image of God, male and female together. Corrupted through the entrance of sin. An imbalanced relationship. Difficulty in relating to one another, relating to the world. But in Jesus, because of Jesus, hope, restoration, and something so different from the understanding of the world. Jesus was an absolute revolutionary in how he treated women in the ancient world. He accepted women as disciples. He taught them as disciples. The woman at the well, the story we read in John 4, she was first off a Samaritan woman. Jesus, as a Jew, was not supposed to speak to her. As a rabbi, he was supposed to completely dismiss her because she was not worthy of interaction. But yet he still, he speaks to her. She is a person who had been married five times and uh, either through death or divorce, we don't know. She was unmarried, but she was living with a man who was not her husband. Jesus treats her with respect rather than with disdain, rather than with condemnation. He treated her with respect. In John chapter 8, we have this amazing story of a woman caught in the act of adultery. Somehow, only the woman was caught. The guy, we don't know where he went or what happened to him. But the religious leaders who caught them deemed only the woman worthy of judgment. She is brought to Jesus. She is thrown down before Jesus. The law says that a, a woman or a man caught in adultery are to be stoned to death. That is with rocks, not with a concoction of herbs that are rolled up. They are to be put to death for this abominable, abominable sin of sex outside the bounds of marriage. She is brought to Jesus as a test. Will he follow the law of man? Not, it's not the, the, the laws of God per se, but will he follow the laws of man, which was never enacted that we know of in Jewish history? Or will he dismiss the standard of God? And it's one of the most powerful scenes in all of Scripture. It's the only time Jesus has ever shown to write something. He kneels down in the dirt and he begins writing something in the dirt. I wish we knew what it was. But it's not recorded. We don't know. Therefore, it, therefore, it's brilliant writing because now it's left open to the imagination. Great storytelling technique. I guess you wouldn't dismiss that from, since it's written by the Holy Spirit, ultimately. Jesus writes something in, in, the, in the dirt, and as he is writing, the people who can see what he is writing become convicted. And it says they slowly began to leave, the older to the younger, the wiser, the more mature, the, 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 the quicker on the uptake, guys. 
right? Age has its advantages. They saw what Jesus was writing and they knew they were done for. They knew there was no argument, there was no excuse, there was, no, there was nothing they could say. They were guilty of sin and they ran with their tail between their legs. Finally, the young guys catch on and say, oh, I guess he got us too. Oops. Nobody's left. The woman is there. And she's got to be just a, 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 probably a crying, shaking, just hoveled mess. The, 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 the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, the public. It's just, it's just absolutely it's a, it's a horrific scene until Jesus intervenes. And he says, where are those who accuse you? She goes, they're gone. He goes, neither do I condemn you. Go, leave your life of sin. Don't go back to what you were doing. Don't go back to where you were. But no more condemnation. Be set free from the guilt, the condemnation, and the sin that caused those things. That's what Jesus brings Hope, forgiveness, the power of a new and different way to live. Jesus extended her grace when the religious leaders would not. It is the women who walked with Jesus to the cross. The disciples fled for the most part. Women were given the privilege of being the very first witnesses to the resurrection this was on purpose in God's design. When women were not esteemed, their, their testimony was not allowed in a court of law at this time in the world. God says, I will have the last laugh. All of my witnesses to the greatest event in all of human history will be women. And they will testify. Not in a court of law, but they will testify in the court of public opinion. And they will be persuasive. And they were. Eventually persuading even the disciples who had to go and verify for themselves. Very masculine, by the way. <laughs> women in the early church and in Christian teaching, women, men and women have equal standing regarding salvation. Jesus died for all men and all women. His forgiveness is extended equally to men and women. In Judaism, women were relegated to, to the court of the women in the temple. They, they couldn't go in too far. They couldn't participate in some of the other things in the temple. But in the church, in, in, in the, the people of God who, who belong to God through Jesus, women were fully included and fully integrated in the life and the service and the fellowship of the church. You see, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This doesn't mean that in Christ you cease to be a male or cease to be a female, just like you don't cease to be a slave or free in their economic system. Nor does your ethnicity change. There are still Jews and there are still Gentiles. But in Jesus, no more barriers to worship, no more barriers to forgiveness, no more barriers to include, being included in the family of God, adopted fully and equally under the blood of Jesus. Women are gifted and empowered for ministry. We see in 1 Corinthians and also in the, in the book of Acts, women had the ability to pray in worship gatherings and assemblies and to prophesy. 
Prophesy is a word that means to speak God's wisdom or God's truth under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This fulfills what the Apostle Peter said on the day of Pentecost, when the very first gospel sermon when the church was birthed, that the ancient prophet Joel had said, in those days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. All flesh, men and women, will have the Holy Spirit. This is unique. This is revolutionary. This is radical. This is why the church grew exponentially at the beginning. We see even in Scripture that, that women do ministry. They host churches in their houses. A woman named Phoebe was acknowledged as a deacon, which is a, a specialized category of servant leader in churches. Now, the, the, the category of elder, the role of elder is different and distinct. We see in Scripture that it's, that it's male only, and there's a variety of reasons for that. And, and you know, most men are excluded from that role too. It's, it's a, very, a very small um, percentage that, that, that qualify for that and are called to that. But women held positions of, of servant leadership in ministry and in growing the church and in building up the body of Christ. And in particular, not exclusively, but in particular, one of, the, one of the tasks given to women is the training and the mentoring of other women, particularly older women for younger women. The Apostle Paul writes to one of his protégés, a young pastor named Titus. He says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers nor slaves to much wine. So the cast of every edition of Real Housewives of wherever is automatically eliminated. That was a much funnier joke. Come on. That was, that was a good one. Yes, thank you. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. There's an awful lot to unpack. Don't have time for that today. But the basic idea of this is that women have an amazing gift and ability and a calling to use their maturity in Christ, their growth in Christ, their wisdom in Christ to pass it on to the younger women. As, as someone who has done marriage counseling and relationship counseling in 35 plus years of ministry now, most of what I have to listen to or endure and try to help people through in counseling, probably at least 90% of it could be handled by a good mentor or two in reality. A voice of wisdom, a voice of one who's been there, done that, and got the t-shirt, and, and got the interest on the credit cards, and got the scars. So much wisdom to share that could help younger women particularly navigate the challenges of this world. Oh, for the, 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 the lack of those relationships, the lack of that wisdom being passed on. And so this is the challenge for, the, for the, the, the women who are older in Christ here at Oak Park. 
See as part of your calling. See as part of your ministry. Mentoring. Taking someone who's younger under your wing and equipping them and helping them. Being a, being a listening board for them. Being an advocate for them. Being someone to help them walk in their calling as well. So I've got to wrap everything up today because we're at that time. But this last point is so important. As Tay mentioned, Mother's Day can be very difficult for some in our society. That whole fracturing and that distortion because of sin gets in the way of everything. And this last one I really hope you really key in on. God creates and calls some women to be wives, but not all. God creates and calls some women to be mothers, but not all. But God does create, and he does call all women to be his daughters. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reverse the curse of Genesis 3. Jesus came to restore relationship between humanity and God the Father. God, Jesus came to set straight and to correct the imbalances of the relationship distorted by sin. And through faith and allegiance to Jesus, this is what we can experience and this is what we can pursue and this is what we can live out. I'd like to have the music team come back on the stage as we prepare for a time of communion. Our challenge today is obviously always to live more wholeheartedly and devotedly to Jesus, to learn the scriptures better, to insulate our minds and embolden our minds and our hearts with the truth of God's word to confront things of society. As we turn to a time of communion, I'd like everyone to go ahead and stand. We're going we're gonna to sing, pray, meditate, and prepare for communion together. Communion is where we honor Jesus for what he did for us. He took our sin on the cross in his body. He paid the price for it so that we could be forgiven by God. As his blood was poured out, the scriptures say without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Uh, and, and we understand that because when somebody wrongs us, uh, we, we want our pound of flesh, right? And if we've wronged somebody, when we want to make up, we say, what can I do to make this up for you? We know there's a cost to atone for sin. Jesus' blood was the cost. Then after Jesus paid for sin, he was dead, he was buried, he rose from the dead. The most amazing act in all of human history, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit brought God the Son back to life reuniting the body and the blood of Jesus. Jesus conquers death. Jesus paves the way for death to no longer be the barrier between us and eternity. And we have new life in Jesus.